I V M. Hello and welcome to the Habit Coach Podcast. I am Ashton Doctor, your Habit Coach, and today with us we have Doctor D Martini. Now this is the second episode in our series. So the first episode came out a couple of days ago. I strongly suggest you listen to that because that is where we start the conversation about understanding our values, how do we live our authentic self, and now we're going to talk about how do we actually put things into action. Where are we wasting our time? How do we increase our self worth, increase our value? and focus on the things that are of top priority so join me in welcoming dr d martini on the habit coach podcast for a second time dr d martini you know when people start making changes in their life right they start off with like you said first understand your values after that what are the next steps that people should focus on and what are the ways in which they should start thinking about these changes that they want to make okay when i was 27 years old i had just started my business well that's not exactly true i was speaking from age 18 and i incrementally made a business out of it but it wasn't a formal business i was speaking and getting paid but it wasn't really formalized at 27 i formalized a clinic and a healthcare clinic and i was doing everything whatever it took i was committed whatever long hours i did, whatever needed i did it but i realized that i was working and majoring in minoring minors and minoring in majors So I went to this Walden bookstore that existed in those days, a chain. And I came across this book called The Time Trap by Alec McKinsey. And I started reading it and I was the kind of guy that would take notes and dog-ear the pages and really make sure I got the book. And then I summarized it into a really quality little exercise. And so whoever's listening, please consider doing what I'm about to say. It will it'll be an enormous impact on your business if you do. What I did is I took a piece of paper, a series of them, and put five lines down vertically and made six equal space columns that's not too hard then i took the very first column and what it was is daily actions was called and i made a list of every single thing i did in a day from the time i woke up to the time i went to bed and i thought of it not just in one day but over a three month period what i might do during those days in three months and i made an exhaustive list of every single thing that i did in a day and i divided into professional and personal business and home and this was multiple pages because i was doing a lot of little stuff and i didn't do write down general things marketing i wrote down calling writing copy making scripts you know thinking about the customer da, 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 everything brand colors i broke things down into incremental little action steps that i did in the next column after i exhausted that list I wrote down how much does that action produce per hour? What am I generating by that action? Am I in in an exchange and I tried to extrapolate things. So if I spent 30 minutes on it, I might multiply it by 2. If I spent 2 hours on it, divide by half. What does it produce per hour? And if it's a series of actions that make up something that I can then sell as an hour, then I take that portion of it that I did to the best of my ability. Okay, that's 10% of that project and that makes x and so that's worth this and i put a dollar value next to every one of those things the best i could and there were some things that were zeros next to it and other things that went to $15,000 an hour it fluctuated all the way up when i got through i redid the the list in a priority on a separate sheet i did the thing again and i reprioritized that column to things that produced the most to least and as i was doing it It was very evident that I was majoring in minors, minoring in majors. There's no doubt, and I was sitting there 
whoa, I have no one to look at other than myself why I'm not doing excellent. When I got through that list, I already had some insights. And then I went to the next column. And this was on a one to 10 scale, how much meaning does each of those jobs, each of those action steps have? Do I love it? And am I inspired to spontaneously do it? Is it so high in my values? I give it a 10. Or do I, is it a one or zero? And I feel like I've got to do it, have to do it, must do it. Three, should, ought to, supposed to do it. One is I'm absolutely inspired. I love it. I mean, 10, pardon me. So I then prioritized all the lists of all those actions because some of those things I was not inspired to do and some of the things I was. And then I reprioritized that list again. And then I looked for what is the most meaningful, which means that I'm inspired to do it, which fulfills my highest value, and which one produces the most, which means that my customers are getting their highest values met. Because if I'm not making an income, it means I'm not meeting people's needs. And if I'm making an income, it means I'm meeting people's needs. So I did that because money is an expression of serving people with sustainable fair exchange. That's what money is. Then on the third column, I wrote down, what does it cost to have somebody do that, a standard even greater than I could do? What would it cost? Not my standard, but something greater. The standard that I would love to see. What would it cost to have somebody do that? And I mean every cost, not their salary, their parking, their insurance their bonuses, their space usage, their training, their equipment, their depreciation schedules, the paperclip, the paper, the computer use, the telephone use. What's the cost of that individual to do that action? And I went through there and went the cost with every one of those actions. And that took some thinking. And then I prioritized that according to spread between what it cost me versus what it produced per hour. And I looked at where the biggest spreads are, because if I could hire somebody to do that, I would extract the you know, surplus labor value out of their work and receive the most income for the work that needs to be done that they can do. And then I know where I can maximize my return off people that I delegate to. So I prioritize that coin to spread. Then I took next to it, I put, how much time do I actually spend on that per day? What's the time? So I know whether I need a part-time or full-time individual to do these things. And then I add the final column, number six, is the final prioritization. The final prioritization after all the variables are there, what's the final prioritization? When I did, then I went through there and I layered that in 10 layers. And I created job descriptions layer by layer. Because obviously the thing that, that is lowest in production, if I'm spending time on, I'm devaluing myself. Anytime you do low priority things that don't produce and that don't have meaning, you're devaluing yourself, you're devaluing your self-worth, and you're undermining your business. So I layered it, and then I put job descriptions, and then I hired, and I hired people. And sometimes I have to hire two people to get the one person, to get the right person on the bus, as Collins would say. But I had to get that person. I didn't stop till I got it. And I did that layer by layer by layer, with the very final prioritization is my job. And then eventually you duplicate that in a franchise or a an exit strategy, you eventually duplicate that. It's the final one. But ultimately, you're now freed to do the highest priority, most productive, most meaningful things that allow your skills that you absolutely are inspired to do to be done. The rest of it is delegated. Now, I started that in October of 1982. I was 27 years old. 18 months later, 18 months, I'm 29. and 
my business went from a 970 square foot little office with one assistant and myself to a 5,000 square foot office with five doctors, 12 staff members. And after all cost, the net return was 10 times leveraged. So it doesn't cost to delegate properly as long as you're hiring people who are inspired to do what you do and they're engaged in it. You don't have to micromanage them and distract by them. If you have to have to micromanage them, you've got the wrong individual. And that allowed me to go out and speak. Those with a mission have a message and prioritize my clients and work with the most influential clients and train the doctors to handle all the rest of the clients. So my job was teaching and training and serving the highest, most influential executives. As a result of that, I was able to leverage myself, which I could not possibly have done if I stayed in my cubicle, even though I spent 10 years as training for that cubicle. So by doing that, I became the entrepreneur and hired specialists that had varying degrees of an entrepreneurship, all the way down to appreciating having a job. Wow. Doing this exercise will completely change the way that you function because it is a very, very deep dive format of the way that you think about your life as well and what your worth is, like you said. This is something that you did 39 years ago. How has that changed? 39 years ago. 39 years ago. I know that because that was one year before I was born. So (laughs) the calculation was easier. Um, Dr. Martini, how has that changed over these 39 years? I use that exercise today with corporate executives. That's no change. No, in your life, I mean, like, do you re-evaluate oh, it every, every well, year? Do you re-evaluate it from time to time? Well, I already know what it is. Hmm. I delegated everything. So I don't do anything. I don't have to do anything else. There's no reason for me to even have to do that. I teach research and write. My researching now, I have specialists around the world that help me with that. Plus, I read. The... the uh, Writing, I have specialists to help me around the world. I've got a publishing company that's about to do 10 books for me. Wow. And all I have to do is speak, and they're transcribing it, making it in books. And my teaching is what I love doing. I have no desire to delegate that, but I have 7,000 people that I've trained to help me do that. So they're out there in the world training people with my what I've been teaching them. So I can keep leveraging that. So... I try to delegate everything down and do only the thing that I'm inspired to do so I can be greatest at that. That one thing, as Gary Keller says, that I want to be known for. And then you build a brand around that because you, you know, you incrementally build momentum that's unstoppable because you become the greatest at that. Nobody can compete with somebody when they're having to do low priority things. You can't compete if you're doing low priority things. So Ricardo's law of the competitive and comparative advantage, economic advantage. That's how it's done. Just like you go to a country, in Ricardo's law, you go to a country, you find the resources that it has excellence at. And it may be mining resources or food resources or oil or whatever. And if you can take what you have the greatest resource of and compete with another country that has its greatest resources, you help efficiently in the economy, as Ricardo's law was. Well, the same thing in, in, in individuals. Your greatest asset is what's highest on your value. That's why determining values is so important. Mine's teaching. My greatest asset is teaching. I can leverage that. I can produce without. Just amazing. But each individual has something different. It may be entrepreneurship and the ability to do serial entrepreneurship. There's their highest asset. It may be negotiation is their, their greatest asset. Whatever is their greatest asset, you want to excel on that. And that way you can love and fulfill your life being yourself. 
because your identity revolves around that. Correct. Absolutely. And since we're on the Habit Coach podcast, I have to ask this. These three aspects of your life, learning, teaching, and writing, what are the habits that you've created for each of these three categories in your life? Maybe things that we can pick up on. Well, I teach every day. I research every day and I write every day. Do you have set patterns of these that, that you do? Like I, I, I read from this time to this time or I study from this time to this time or I teach from this time to this time and well, how you've created because, systems for that. Because I'm global in my outreach and because those are all different time zones, like all right, right now I'm in the French Polynesian Islands. It is now here. It says 1937, so it's 737 in the evening. Okay, now where I don't know where you are. Where did you say you were? I'm in Bombay, You're India, in? Mumbai, India. Bombay, India. Okay, well that's a different time zone. Mm-hmm. So, but sometimes in, in tomorrow evening I'm going to be speaking in Japan. Well, pardon me. Sp- tomorrow midday I'm in Japan, and then I finish that program, and then I start a program in Australia. Two programs in Australia, so I'm teaching there. And so sometimes where I am is a complete opposite side of the world. So I'm working all night, and I'm not working during the day. And so I have time zones around the world. So my time zones are different. So I can't say I have, a, I do this at seven o'clock in the morning because seven o'clock in the morning may be in different time zones. Okay. But one thing I do is I, I am teaching, researching and writing whatever available time I have. That's basically what I do because that's what I love. You're not going to live an inspired life doing anything other than what you're inspired to do. So you find out what is inspiring to you. Warren Buffett doesn't do a lot of stuff. He reads, you know, financial statements and he looks about investments and he spends his day contemplating that six to eight hours a day. And then he might do some interviews and he loves educating and eventually deciding occasionally a stock to purchase. But he's doing what he loves and it's delegated away. Same for his partner, Charlie Munger. He doesn't do a lot of stuff. He does what he loves to do. And I find that the people who do that, I have a friend who's a, amazing singer and they sing they've got everything delegated and they sing and they master singing and work on singing and write lyrics and they're doing singing so giving yourself permission to be your most inspired authentic self is something that everybody is capable of doing but not everybody's willing to walk that path there's the fear there's many fears there's the fear of not being smart enough There's the fear of failure. There's the fear of not making money or losing money. There's a fear of what will my loved ones think and rejection from your closest loved ones. The fear of rejection from people you've given power to and authority in society. The fear of ill health, death, or disease or not having the energy, vitality, or looks to do it. Or the fear of some sort of moral, ethical thing by some religious guru or teacher or somebody that says, thou shalt not do that. All of those fears compounded are a result of subordination to the herd and giving power to other people, mothers, fathers, preachers, teachers, conventions, traditions, and morays of somebody with a different set of values. Instead of going within and discovering what's really valuable to you and walking a path of the individual hero and prioritizing your life and being willing to be ridiculed, violently opposed until you're self-evident changing the world. Beautiful. We're going to take a quick break. See you on the other side. Welcome back. All right, let's jump into the conversation. It's so true. We just keep following the herd, right? It is that we don't 
try and be extraordinary because we're just so caught up in trying to make sure that we fit in. And we always look at people who've done extraordinary things and we admire them and we want to be like them, but we don't want to step out of it and, and, and do those things. Yeah, but there's a very important component here. I have a program I call the Breakthrough Experience that I've been teaching for 33 years. And um, in there, I, it's an exercise that about transcending subordination and giving yourself permission to live according to your own values. Because if you walk in a mall and you see somebody you think is more intelligent than you, you're going to minimize yourself to them and inject some of what you think they're like into your life and cloud yourself. Then you meet somebody you think is more successful than you. You're going to minimize yourself to them and you're going to end up taking in some of their values and trying to be somebody you're not. Second at being somebody else. If you see somebody that's more wealthy than you, you do the same thing. More stable relationship, same thing. More socially connected, more physically fit, more spiritually aware. Anytime you subordinate to anybody else and minimize and put them on a pedestal and you're too humble to admit what you see in them is inside you, you're going to inject their values and cloud the clarity of your own mission. And then you're going to pretend, I don't know what's really important to me. And you'll set off on these delusions and bang your head against the wall until you finally realize who you are. So I have an exercise. Whenever you meet somebody that you admire, doesn't matter what level, you immediately go, what specific trait, action or inaction, do I perceive in this individual displaying or demonstrating that I perceive that displayed and demonstrate that I admire most? And get really concise on what that is. Don't just say, I admire everything about him, because you don't. You only admire certain actions or traits. Identify that. Once you identify that, list those. And then ask yourself this question. Go to a moment, Dr. Martini, where and when I perceive myself displaying or demonstrating that exact behavior. Where was it? When was it? Who was it to? And who perceived me that way? Go to the next moment, John, where you did it, when you did it, who saw it, and where did you do it to? Go to the next moment and stack up the moments and dig and introspect until you realize that quantity and quality of what you admire in them is already in you. It's not missing. Because whatever you admire in somebody else, you have already, or you wouldn't be able to admire it. That's been shown through reflective awareness and psychology. You can't admire anybody unless you have what they have, but you're too humble to admit it. Just like you can't resent somebody unless you're too proud to admit that you have what it is and you feel ashamed of it. That's why you're you wanting to avoid them because they're reminding you of what you feel ashamed about. But once you go in there and identify where you have that to the same degree, quantity and quality, you automatically level the playing field and they're not above you, they're equal. And when you're equal, you can now have equanimity and authenticity in yourself. But as long as they're above, you're going to minimize yourself. That's inauthentic. And as long as they're below, you're going to exaggerate yourself. And that's inauthentic. And the personas of inauthenticity undermine the power of authenticity and scatter you and dissipate your energy because you're thinking something's missing in your life and you're functioning from a disowned part, a deflected part, a disempowered part, instead of your whole, a mindful state. And then what the next thing is you go to a moment where and when you perceive them displaying or demonstrating the behavior, the trait, action or inaction. And in that moment that you're admiring it, what's the downside? Because if you're admiring it, you're, you're conscious of the upside, you're unconscious of the downside, and you're blinded by an infatuation, which minimizes you. So what's the downside of that? And once you bring in the downsides and level the playing field where it's not above or below, they're equal, you're not sitting there living in their shadow. You're realizing that there's nothing in them that's missing in you, and you give yourself permission to do the same level of operation in your own values.
And now you walk a path of authenticity and integrity and wake up the exemplification of your leadership. So we're not here to put people on pedestals or pits. We're here to put them in a heart, to have equanimity in ourselves and equity between them so we can have sustainable transactions that are in fair exchange with people around us. Because the second we put them on a pedestal, we'll sacrifice our profits for them. And the second we put them in a pit, we'll sacrifice them for our profits. But the second we put them in our hearts, there's a fair exchange that everybody wants to continue to do business with. And that's how you build a brand of longevity. This is such an important point, especially because subordination is something that is taught to us right from the time that we were, we were kids, especially here in India. You know, there is a mindset of subordination here. And I was smiling when you were talking because you mentioned that you see an aspect in the other person and you can only see that if you have it within you. And I was smiling because we used to say this in school, right? It takes one to know one. You know, when somebody calls you stupid, you're like, ah, it takes one to know one. And somebody calls you, like when you're admiring something, wow, why do I admire this? Because I have an aspect of that in me. And there are so many yes. people that are fantastic, but we don't even recognize them or see them because we don't have the same values as them. They just are like ships in the night. They, they go past you. Anytime you expect to live in somebody else's values, you have futility. You're not here to put them on a pedestal. They are just an individual with a different set of values. And theirs aren't right, yours not wrong, or vice versa. But once you realize you have what they have and you honor your own values, you live integrally. Uh, you know, there's an old theological statement that I'm making up right now. And it says that at the level of the soul, the state of unconditional love, which is our authentic self, our essential self, our real authentic being. At the level of the soul, nothing's missing in us. It has amazing fulfillment. But at the level of the senses in the existential world, things appear to be missing. And the things that appear to be missing are, are all the things we're too proud or too humble to admit we have that we see through other people's, through our judgments. And that's where we disempower ourselves. And that's where we have emptiness. And we don't have fulfillment. And our hierarchy of values is there to try to help us fulfill those emptinesses. That's why if you live by the highest values, which makes the blood glucose and oxygen goes into the forebrain and brings objectivity, you have a balanced mind. Objectivity means neutral mind. And when you're neutral, you're not fearing the loss of the things you infatuate with, and you're not fearing the gains of the things you resent, which are all the distractions that have fears that people have in business. You're actually a man on a mission or a woman on a mission fulfilling the mission, doing what you're here to do in a way that's unstoppable. But when the second we're not living by highest priority and we're living in lower values because we're trying to please everything around us that we're subordinating to, we get into our amygdala and our amygdala wants to avoid pain and seek pleasure, avoid challenge and seek ease. And it goes for immediate gratification, which is a not a long-term builder of business. It's, it costs, it's like gambling instead of long-term investing. So it's so important to prioritize your life and to know what your values are if you want to master your life. Wow. Can I ask a very strange question? Dr. D. Martini, what is it like in your mind? Like, how would you describe your mind to me? Like, what, what, what goes on inside that? Well, I'm constantly, I, I, I think that life is like a giant cosmic puzzle. And I love puzzles. And so I'm looking for the pieces in the giant puzzle that I haven't learned yet. And I have a pursuit of filling in the puzzle pieces. But what's beautiful is every time I put in a puzzle piece, the puzzle gets bigger. So that means I get inspired about the next layer of the puzzle. And each one gives me a greater understanding and clarity about the divine master plan, you might say. 
the master plan of life. So I'm a guy that loves pursuing the knowledge of the universe and sharing that with people. That's my role. And my mind is just dedicated to researching that, writing it out to organize it and sharing it with people. And I do that every day of my life. That's, I've been doing it. This is going on 50 years. Beautiful. Beautiful. Dr. D. Martini, how can people, you know, learn more about what you're doing? Come for some of your programs. What are the various things that you're doing? Can you just tell that to the listeners? The easiest way to do it is just simply go to drdmartini.com. Dr. D-R, D-Martini, D-E-M-A-R-T-I-N-I.com. And on that website is the value determination process that's complimentary, uh, private, and also thousands of interviews, radio, television, newspaper, magazines, articles, podcasts, et cetera, and educational materials and live webinars and seminars and YouTube videos, and you name it. And it's an educational one. And what's interesting is you probably could not keep up with it because we're producing more than you're probably going to watch it. So you're going to have to believe in maybe reincarnation and come back multiple lives to get to finish it all. <laughs> you are truly an inspiration when it comes to that. I remember listening to you in your book, the audio book that I was mentioning earlier, and you were saying that you, you do a workshop a day, right? 365 workshops a year. And that was mind-blowing. I was like, wow, where do you find the energy? And while talking to you, I realized it's not about the energy. It's about being so inspired that the energy just this flows, right? You're just doing these three things. And that's where it comes from. Energy is infinite once you recognize its source. And your vitality in life is directly proportionate to the vividness of your vision. And your vision becomes crystal clear to the degree of your congruency with what is truly valuable to you in your life. So there's no lack of energy to anybody. And because if you're living by your highest value, you don't live to eat, you eat to live. You eat to perform, to fulfill your mission. But if you're not feeling your highest today and you're unfulfilled, you're gonna fill your body with food and you'll be living for food and living to consume, buy things, other people's brands that are overpriced. And you'll be addicted because the amygdala of the, the, the amygdala is, a, is an addiction, a desire center. And you'll be caught in a hedonistic pursuit of immediate gratification instead of a long-term vision of service and contribution. Insane. Brilliant. I think that's a fantastic place for us to end this podcast. Dr. D. Martini, thank you so much for coming on the Habit Coach Podcast. It's truly been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I was looking forward to it. And I now get to understand why my intuition said I can't wait. Yay. Thank you so much. Now, if you like this podcast, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IVM network. You can listen to us on the IVM podcast app or ivmpodcast.com. You can also follow us on social media. We are at IVM podcast on Twitter and Instagram. If you want to reach out to me, I am at Ashton Doc on Twitter and Instagram. We have a brand new habit coaching online course, quizzes, videos, and a lot more on the website awesome180.com. So check it out now.